0: You know, we got quite a treat today, don't we? We got a wonderful, uh, normally we say like guest speaker, but how many know? She already belongs to the house. Come on, somebody. Yes, yes. She's our friend. Um, she is, uh, man, she's just not 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 only a dear friend of Avenue, but a dear friend of ours as well. And uh, she's making a, she is making, I would say right now, she is making such an impact in our city exactly what our city needs uh, even this last Friday she spoke in a room of hundreds of influencers hundreds of, uh, of, of officials and just heavy uh, heavy shakers all that in our city and she came in and she passed her dam on uh, Friday night and so I hope you just allow your uh, to open up your hearts to know that um our, our speaker today is a safe person, someone that loves this house, someone that loves you, but also she wants to see the very best for your life. So we're in a super, super good treat today. We
1: are. We realize that we could not do a series on healthy humans yeah. without bringing in Kimberly Malloy. She is right. a marriage family
0: therapist. She is a champion for our city. Right. And like us, we believe that Christ is the center of our lives, but we are more than just spiritual beings. Right. We have emotional
1: and mental and social health that God cares deeply about. Right. She is the founder of the Center for Relational Health here in Las Vegas. There are She's a champion for people.
0: We were just having coffee with her a little less than a month ago and she said these words
1: that I want to be in this as long as the days that I have on this earth. Right. That that ambulance can come pick me up from wherever I am That's doing right. ministry at. Wherever I am building people
0: and loving people and seeing people walk in freedom. And so, Kimberly, will you guys give her a warm welcome to Avenue. Come on, everybody. We are so happy to have you with us. Today.
1: Come on. (laughs) Good morning. There we are. Yes. I brought my holy water with me. Yep. And just in case, I brought another holy water because I need all the help I can get. So, good morning. So I wonder if you know somebody that has accepted Christ as their savior, but they still get angry easily. They put people down, or they avoid conflict, they're argumentative, maybe insecure, maybe lonely, disconnected from their family, feel unworthy, anxious, anxious. Or maybe they're a people pleaser, that they need approval. They complain about how their parents raised them, but yet you see that they are doing the same thing. Or they lack confidence. They have big dreams, but little too small movements towards those dreams. Maybe that's you. I wonder if it is because you have Jesus in your heart but you still have got grandpa in your bones. Think about that for just a minute. Jesus is in your heart, but grandpa is still in your bones. Good. And what grandpa represents is your family of origin for generations on what has been passed down. Maybe some of it just created this generation, but maybe some of it going back generations to generations I've always said that salvation is instant, but it is also a journey. It is so beneficial to acknowledge the blessings and sins of our families going back generations and how it impacts who we are today. Because then we can develop a plan to put off those unhealthy patterns of sin and continue the ones, the healthy ones in Exodus 34, 7, and in Exodus 20, 5 through 6, points out to the truth that family patterns repeat generation to generation. Unhealthy patterns need to be identified and changed. We have to look back in order to go forward. And I know some of you are going, no, please, no. I've done everything to try and forget that and not... But I'm telling you, you got to run towards your fear with confidence. That's good. That's good. Confidence that you belong to a different family. The family of Jesus, a new family, right? These people around you, they are your family. Love you said, Pastor Jeremy, imperfect, but we are perfectly imperfect, and you are not going to be alone because you have all of us with you. Let me give you a personal example. So we are born with this God-given sense of curiosity. And you see it right often with kids. Think about little babies, you know. I have a little one-year-old grandson, and he is always crawling or walking over to this one little plug-in I have in the wall. He always wants to go over, he wants to see it, He wants to touch it, he wants to smell it. And sometimes if I don't catch him, he likes to taste it. (laughs) And then they get older, and kids still have that curiosity They just try things to try and want to learn something new. They try and hold their breath just to see how long they can hold their breath. Right? They skip a rock across the water just to see how far it'll go or how far they can go on a wheelie on their bike. See, in our family of origin where we grew up, we soon find out that curiosity is going to be nurtured or it's going to be squashed. When it's nurtured, you increase a child's sense of confidence. And for those of you with little ones in the room, please hear that. Allowing them to be curious increases their sense of confidence. It encourages them to know more, to learn more. Because curiosity creates engagement. And engagement creates connection. So when you have a little kiddo in this church that comes up to you and it's not your little kiddo, and they say to you, you know, how come you have that on? Or why do you say that? That's them being curious. And it's a chance to engage with them. And when you engage with them and you answer their questions, you're creating a connection. And you are showing them that they are not only worthy, but they can ask questions to learn and to grow. One of our two most main basic needs is to love and to feel like we belong. However, that same curiosity can be squashed in our childhood. If you hear things like, don't do that, stop asking so many questions, you're going to get hurt. That's not ladylike. Don't talk to them. These type of responses, Can inhibit a child's curiosity. In fact, sometimes children will stop being curious because they want to stop hearing the negativity. This type of response can create isolation in that child and sometimes a deep shame. Like maybe there is something wrong with me. Maybe I'm supposed to know this and I'm not supposed to ask questions. Maybe I'm stupid. Maybe I... Hey, maybe they would have liked if I would have been more like my brother, more like my sister. Maybe I'm really not smart enough. I'm not lovable. Those are the kinds of things that curiosity in children. Let me tell you about me. I was a very curious child for sure. I was curious about all kinds of things and I wanted to know the why. Um, I sometimes wanted to know the how, but I was more about the why, why. And I used to drive my dad nuts. He was an engineer and a math professor. So that tells you that logical brain that he has. So he would teach me uh, math and I would ask him a million questions. Why? Why? And finally, he just said, stop asking questions. It is what it is. I'm like but I don't understand, why can't X equal a rainbow or Y equal this? Why is MC, why is that squared? M and a C is not squared, they got, they got roundness in them. Yes, exactly, right? But my curiosity at home was often met with short, curt statements to tell me it was not okay. I would hear things like, this is adult talk be quiet, this is not for kids, go to your room, stop asking so much questions, and sometimes they would take my curiosity as sass, I'd think, it's not sass, it's curiosity, but I'd hear, don't talk back, so I would go to my room, and I would sit there. Now I thought, why wasn't curiosity embraced? I thought about this later in life. And I wondered if it could be because I was the youngest of six kids and my parents were just tired of answering questions. That's legitimate. Some of you are going, yes, Jesus, that could (laughs) be. Or if it could be just a generational thing where it's like, you know, you just don't ask questions to your parents. All right. Maybe I thought, well, maybe it was because of their own insecurity. But then my wonder landed on this. Maybe it was because They were trying to keep a life-changing secret from me. One of those was the fact that at 19, I found out that the mom who raised me was not my mom. That my birth mom actually died on my first birthday. Okay, that's fun, right? Robert Cunningham says, How we have an epidemic of loneliness. That we are relational beings and our soul craves connection as much as our bodies crave food. Wow. I'm just saying, by the size of me, you know I crave lots and lots of connection, right? <laughs> I just know that of those two things that we were born to be loved and to belong, I did feel loved. I would tell you that my siblings did not. Fortunately, a couple of my sisters accepted Christ in their, early, in their early 20s, and they belong to a family now, and that's awesome. But I think I felt love, not because of hugs, because I never got those, and not because I heard, I love you, because I didn't hear of that from my mom until I was 58. But maybe it was that little jokes that my dad would say to me at the dinner table. Or maybe it was the gifts that I got at Christmas or maybe it was those occasional one-on-one time that I would spend with my mom. Loved, maybe. Belonged, no. Interesting, because I was the youngest of six kids, and we lived in a 1,500-square-foot house, four bedrooms. One bedroom, my parents, one bedroom, my brothers, one bedroom, two of my sisters, and another bedroom, myself and my oldest sister until one day she wasn't there. No explanation, no talk, she just was gone. So I had this room by myself, but my siblings were told that they couldn't come in my room and talk to me unless they were helping me with homework. So. I began feeling lonely in a crowd of people at a very young age. Curiosity was not valued. I was isolated. I was alone. And it affected my self-confidence in ways that we do not have long enough to talk about. But even after I accept Jesus as my Savior, there was still a loneliness. And sometimes I find myself in that moment on occasion before I bring myself back to truth. And listen, don't get me started on secrets. My mom, my sister, that is something that I learned. And unfortunately, I passed on. I'll talk about that in just a little bit. So many of those things were modeled in my marriage, a lot of those things came up. I've had to work through earthquake moments in my life that have rocked my world. I know that Jesus gave me the most patient husband because little things like I heard growing up was, you don't have to tell your husband everything. You don't have to share all your money with him. Uh, Whatever happens in this house stays in this house. So you can have Jesus in your heart, but Grandpa... In your bones, and we must intentionally work on getting Grandpa out. Yes. So, in this next slide, this is what we call the window of tolerance, and this is when a child, when, it's, when a child is small, between the time that something happens to them and the time that they react, they've got a pretty big window. But the more trauma that they experience, and they could be big traumas or they could be the little traumas, the smaller that window gets. So the smaller the time between something happens to you and you responding, even if you have Jesus in your heart. Let's go to the next one. So we are are shaped by our, our experiences. When we're born, our brain begins to build this construct that the world is either safe, or it's dangerous. Everything that comes into your brain begins to form that story. Just for a second, begin to think about the story that is formed in children who have experienced abuse, and neglect, assaults, homelessness, joblessness. In this next slide, you'll see, this is a PET scan of two two-year-olds On the left, you'll see it's a scan of a typical development of a two-year-old, and the red area represents the most activity. And you'll see that there's a lot of activity up here in the prefrontal cortex where we do our thinking, our decision-making. And that uh, one to the right of it is a two-year-old that has experienced extreme neglect. You'll see very little activity, but where you see activity is in the base of that brain where we experience fight, flight, freeze, fawn. If we don't come alongside children, this is what that brain will continue to look like. Let's go to the next one. But again, we all have the opportunity to change. We have the opportunity to change because Jesus Jesus changes us, right? He changes us. And when we're a child, it's a little bit easier to change. But as we get older, the intent, the intentionality, it takes a little bit more. I wonder if you have a dream. Do you have something that you'd like to do? Is there an area that you would really wanna be more courageous and more brave? Do you wanna ask somebody out? Do you want to go for that promotion? Would you like to change careers? Do you want to have a tough conversation with somebody? Do you want to step into ministry? Do you want to go on a mission trip? Do you want to become a pastor? If your hand is on the door and on the opposite, the other side of that door is the life that you want and your hand is on the handle, what is stopping you? What is stopping you? I'd love for you to participate in this. What do you think some of the stories are that are in people's head on why they don't go through that door? Fear? I'll fail. I'll fail. Yeah. I'll succeed. Confidence. Worthiness. What is the story that you are telling yourself? That's a great place to start. If you've got your door on that handle, whatever it is, and you hear God's calling, identify the stories that you are telling yourself. Write those down. And on the opposite side, write down the truth. The things that you were told either... Uh, by your parents, or by culture, by society, and maybe intentionally, and maybe just in, just in conversation that somebody would have never known that it impacted you. You're not enough. You're not smart enough. You're a woman. You're a man. You're too young. You're too old. You have physical challenges. You're not the right skin color. Come on. You don't understand culture. Listen, identify those stories. If you don't what happens is we get stuck if you go to the next slide i don't want you to get stuck jesus doesn't want you stuck he didn't die on the cross for you to be stuck he died on the cross for you to live in freedom for him for him so between what i shared and what you're thinking about i do wonder If you have a message you received from your family. We hear them all the time. The best place to start is a genogram. And I don't know how many of you are familiar with that. I don't know if you guys have talked about genograms or not. Okay, but what a genogram is, it's... We use it in therapy to kind of document what your family looks like. So I'm going to just give you... So this would be... My dad and mom, right? Oh, except that this isn't my dad and mom because my dad, I found out later, was married to somebody else, and I found out my birth mother was married to somebody else, and she also wasn't married, but she, uh, after she divorced from this husband, She got pregnant with a son. Then she met my dad, and let's see, she had a daughter with this one, sorry, she had a daughter with this one. I know, it gets complicated, right? Families are complicated. All right, okay, so then she had my oldest sister, had uh, my second sister, my brother, and then there is moi yes, that's awesome, right? And so this is kind of how I start sessions when I'm dealing with a couple or even individual, because I want to understand this, right? So one of the questions that I will ask is I will say, okay, tell me, were you uh, in contact with your uh, grandparents? And if you were, I'd kind of put them up there, but I'm not going to just yet. And so you walk through and then you, you figure out what are the physical, what are the physical things that run in your family? Because you cannot be blind to that, yeah. okay? And then, um, because sometimes it's passed in our DNA, and I'll talk about that in just a minute, and sometimes it is something that just happened, and I'll explain that in a second. And then I'll start saying, okay, in this family, what do you know about marriages, Who's divorced? Who wasn't married? Who had kids out of marriage? What were their sexes? Are is it are there any addictions that run in the family? Right? A is an addiction. Is there any mental illness that ran in the family? How's your relationship with your siblings? That means disconnected. Let's be clear. (laughs) Why is that? You begin to start tearing down, not tearing down, but you begin to start breaking down what your genogram has done. So I've told you a little bit of my story. So I can tell you that secrets, huge. I just spelled that wrong. Thank you. I guess I, I, guess I need that computer with a little wiggly line. Secrets for sure. Certainly money. Certainly cut off. Because when my dad married the woman who raised me, he cut all connection with my mom. All my mom's family. And here's the thing. When I met my husband, I thought, this man is the coolest man ever. And he comes from this great big family. I want to belong a family. Remember my size? right? I want to connect. I want this family. And I was so excited because his family would do uh, family events. They would um, have holidays together and they'd do, uh, are they do, what do they call those? Uh, family reunions. And I thought, oh, this is so cool. I had a desire for it. And do you know why I had a desire for it? Not only did I not have it, but get this. another one in there. My mom was one of 16. Wow. My birth mom was one of 16. That was passed down in my DNA to want to belong to a big family. I did not understand that until I did my genogram. We don't always understand why we are the way we are. And some things are awesome, and I'm not denying that, and some things are tough. But genograms are incredibly helpful. I talk about, how did you see your parents fight? Well, that definitely played out in my, in my marriage. How did you see them show love? Well, I'll tell you, this is one of those times where I told you I never really was hugged, and I never heard I love you too. You can talk to my kids, and I probably went way the other way. <laughs> Because there's some times that we go, there's something was so missing in us, we're going to make sure our kids don't miss it. Who was the encourager in your family? Who was the disciplinarian in the family? What were your earthquake moments? And I have clients go back from the time that they are born until today and list out their earthquake moments and what year they, they were. And then I go back to each of the earthquake moments and says, what was your takeaway from that? because the takeaways are important. The takeaways is, I learned I can't trust men. I learned if I want something, I have to do it myself. Million of those takeaways, right? You hopefully are starting to think about those things inside of yourself. Do the genogram and I know that it can be painful, so sometimes you need to pair up with somebody. Sometimes it might be necessary to come and see a therapist or a a pastor or a lay counselor to kind of lay that out. But always remember that that is where you came from, but that is not who you are, right? Let's go to the next one. One One of the things sometimes that we experience in our family of origin is is the shame. And shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of acceptance and belonging. That's some of the thing that you will identify is shame when you go through your family of origin. You realize that's the way I am. That's why I always have to have the last word is because in my family of origin, it it was never okay for me to speak what my opinion was. Shame has so many different emotions wrapped into it, so many. It can be anger, it can be sadness, it can be insecurity, it can be isolation, it can be withdrawal, it can be perfection. The root of perfection is shame. You know, I've said that here before and I will continue to say that because Perfection is about pleasing everybody out there. Striving for excellence is about you and your walk with the Lord and what God calls you to. Okay, let's go to the next one. And yep, let's go. Oh man, does anybody want to walk around? All I want to walk around is with my holy coffee. I don't want to walk around with all that baggage. Let's go to the next one. So this is just a little bit of neuroscience in there. It's just a reminder that your brain gets every, and I love that God created the brain so incredible. This is his creation, folks. We are just starting to understand how incredibly wonderful and awesome it is. But every sensory input that you get, meaning everything that you see or you saw growing up, everything that you heard, everything that you felt, that you tasted, that you touch. All of those inputs on a daily basis, there's millions of them. Your brain has to figure out, is it safe or is it a threat? Because you walk into church and you say, you say hi to somebody who is, maybe it's somebody you've admired from afar and, and you wave and you say hi and they just, and your brain is going, okay, what is that most like? That's exactly how my grandma used to respond to me. She didn't love me. She didn't want to talk to me. So you keep getting those inputs, and you see yourself back up from people. But you got to challenge them, because that's not truth. you got to challenge them. You've got to learn to be curious about that. Let's keep going. Uh, epigenetics. We're going to get on that. It's really just the study of changes in organisms. So when I first started in the field, I thought that, okay, if your grandfather was an alcoholic and your, your father was an alcoholic and you're an alcoholic, then your kids would be an alcoholic. Right? And I thought, whoa. But we see that, right? For generations, we see those things. So it's not like I'm imagining it. I just thought, okay, man, you just can't. But here's the thing that we understand is that some of these genes are passed on. But just because they are passed on does not mean that we have to actually turn them on. Right? And just because they are turned on does not mean that we can't turn them off. We made a mistake. We are not a mistake. We did something bad. We are not bad. Let's keep going understanding that the power of this information, if you understand and you look for your patterns, you can change your patterns. That's the beauty of it. Understand what is predictable. Understand that you know if you go in situations like this that it might stir up some feelings, but you can plan for that. You can go in with scriptures. You can go in with, you know, listening to praise uh, music on your way into that meeting and that meeting can turn out way different. Yep. Let's go to the next one. We're just going to skip that one. And yeah, what is predictable is preventable. All right. Okay. So let's go to the next one. And that just talks about sins of the generation. So we're just going to keep going. Yes, you think it's for you. It's not for you. This is for me. It's for me. And it's because I spent a lot of time hustling for my worthiness because I did not understand that because God put oxygen in my lungs that I am worthy. And because I took the messages in from all of the people in my life who spoke things to me, and trust me, there were some good things too, but those negative ones are the ones that hang us up, right? And because I took those in, I spent time trying to prove to people that I had value in all of the wrong ways. And then all of a sudden you get back, oh man, you're awesome, you're great. And it never healed the root of, I need to know that I have value because God put breath in me. So that's my reminder. Stay humble and remain teachable because I pray I will always ha- be learning. Yes. Amen. Okay, go ahead. Next one, Ephesians 4:22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And deceitful desires are sometimes born out of those traumas. We are, you are part of God's family, an incredible part of God's family. Let's go to the next one. Yeah, I kind of came with the, this. Um, if you don't heal your hurts, you may heap harm onto others. And that is just truth. Because if you are hurt and you get married to somebody or you work alongside somebody, there's a really good chance they're going to be the recipient of that hurt. Yeah. I'm not saying we have to be perfect but I'm saying it happens, right? It is never too late to visit grandpa. I don't care how old you are. It is never too late to work on getting the grandpas out of our bones. Jesus, his timing is perfect. So whether it's today and you're 62, (laughs) my birthday friend over there, or if you're 15, it's good. So I'm just gonna end in this last way. Do I have just a couple minutes? I hear the music going on, okay. I sat down one evening in despair and I said, God, people are hurting so much. How do I do more of what I do? There is only one me. And there are so many people hurting. I didn't have enough time to get people in my schedule. I didn't have enough time. My friends were in the same industry, didn't have enough time. And God led me to write down the word curiosity. And in that word curiosity, you can make 145 words. And then I wrote down heals. Curiosity heals because I realized my inability to be curious made me sick. My curiosity is healing. And you put those two words together and you can make 3,400 words. So I'm going to tell you some of the words. I'm not giving you all 3,400 words. I'm going to give you about 40, 40 or 50 of them. And that you can see the words as I say them. When I sit and I can be curious about the stir in my heart, the hurt in my heart, and I can sit with my tears and I can cry and I can cry out to the Lord. He's going to help me sort things out. He's going to help me sort out what's truth from fiction, what's pain from shame, And then I can see you in your pain. And I can sit with you. Because nobody in here needs me to feel sorry for you. Nobody in here needs to bless your heart. What you need is me to sit next to you and hear your story. And hear your pain. And we can sit together and we can figure out how we're going to heal that pain. And where Jesus comes in. And if you're having thoughts of suicide, I can say, no, stay here. Stay here. Let us care for you. In our curiosity, we can combat the enemy. And instead of the destructive riots that we saw on TV, that we can come together and pull together and scour our resources. And we can go to the highest courts and we can change the insanity in this country. And we can bring healing. And you know what? People are going to see us and they're going to say that there's something different about us, that we can come alongside them and we can care for them too and we can hear their story and together we can count the cost of change or the cost of staying the same and instead of being, anxiety is being contagious, healing, curing, healing can be contagious. And you know what? We can heal our city. Yes. And in this world, you see city. Yes. And you not only see city, but you see the U.S. Yes. Yes. Curiosity heals. It will heal. Yes. We will lean more into Christ. We will lean more into his word and what it says. And I'm just wondering if you would just do me this one favor. If you would stand up and if you would link arms. Because I want us to practice holy curiosity. Holy curiosity. Because do you know that the root word of curiosity is cure. Cure. To care about and heal. And when we link arms, we're not leaving anybody behind. We are all going to glory together. So Pastor Jeremy, would you come up and pray? And I also want to point out that in this word... Curiosity Heals is a beautiful name of God, El Roy. He is the God who sees. And He sees you right now wherever you are at and the pain that you have, in the story that you are brought up, whether it's from generations ago or it's in this family. He knows the story you tell yourself and He wants you to quiet it down, turn it off and to be healed and to care one for each other. Yes. Can we pray?
0: Everybody, bow your heads, close your eyes. I feel. Um, I feel like the Holy Spirit is giving us permission to identify and to heal. To turn off that, whatever that is for you. Turn off those. Some of sometimes we call it the DNA. Generational curses, the negativity that we just are ashamed of. I feel like that you have permission today to allow the Holy Spirit to identify and to heal your heart, to heal our minds. May I love that. The Holy Spirit, we thank you. The Father, I thank you that today is not only going to be just another Sunday. But I thank you that today is going to be a day of healing. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you're going to minister to our hearts. You're going to help us to identify. You're going to help us to heal. That, Jesus, we heal through your presence. We heal through your spirit. We heal through your word. Holy Spirit, we heal through community, healthy, life-giving community, through counseling. Father, I pray today. today be the first step we take, and can I say rewriting what gets passed down. That yes, struggles and temptations make it passed down, but holiness and purity, kindness and love. The Father, I pray, may that get passed down to our children and our children's children. The Father, I pray in Jesus' name, you have permission, you have permission to heal today you may feel like it's gunk from the from the drain. It's 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 just garbage from from hidden deep within. But the Holy Spirit is saying, "That's what I die for. That's what I came for. I want to heal you. I want to restore you. It is okay to get curious again. In Jesus' mighty name, man. If you're in this room with every head out of eye closed, you want to give your life to Jesus. I'm sorry, friends, but it's just it's not a private matter. It's a public thing. And so if you're, whether you're linked arms or you're holding hands, I just want you to kind of squeeze that person next to you and say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. I feel so broken. I feel so ugly. I feel so dirty. But you could just go, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want us all to pray prayer together in our hearts. And I love what Miss, uh, what Kimberly said. Identify every single lie, but you give it a truth. Every, identify every single lie, but you give it God's truth. That I'm God's masterpiece, fearfully and wonderfully made. That by his stripes I am healed. It is not by my works, but it is exactly what Jesus did on the cross for me today. For me to be healthy, for me to be whole. For me to be holy for me to be pure for me to be a man of god a child of god for me to be a mentor for me to be a coach for me to be a pastor a teacher for me to make a difference in my workplace, for me to make a difference in my home, for me to be the priest in my home, to be the worshiper in my home, for me be, for, for me to be exactly who God has called me to be starting today for His praise and His glory. You're not mom, you're not dad, you're not grandpa, you're not grandma, you are you and God uniquely identified and created you for such a time as this to turn off that switch, that I'm going to kind mean, say throw that switch away and to be able to create something new and side of every single one of us for God's praise and God's glory. So everyone lift your voice and say, dear Jesus, say, thank you for dying on the cross. Say, thank you for for dying for my sins. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sins and I forget myself. I forget my parents. I forget my grandparents. So today rewrite my identity, rewrite my history The Father, I thank you that I'm now new, I am now whole, I am now healthy in Christ Jesus, because I now know who I am. I'm saved, I'm redeemed, I'm a child of God. Come on, everybody, give God a shout today.